0: All right. Good morning, everybody. Okay, now, we had a wonderful time of worship, and we're going to open up our Bibles now, but I'm going to give a little disclaimer, okay? Some of you may get a little squeamish with this topic, and um, we are in the middle of hot topics. I should say just getting started. I appreciate last week Chad preaching on the subject of abortion, uh, and this week Um, you know, this is a subject that we need to talk about, we need to share with our children. Now, I know there's a certain extent of what we're going to share with our children, so again, disclaimer out there right now, just, you know, prepare uh, the kids and make sure you talk with them about this, uh, because we're going to talk about the subject of homosexuality. Um, Again, a hot topic a lot of people don't want to talk about, because as Christians, sometimes we start talking about this, and people are like, oh, you can't talk about this, or, oh, you know what, people are going to hate you for saying that. Well, uh, you know, at what point in time does the church step up and actually open our mouths and preach God's truth when we know we're going to get blasted by it on the media? If you're at all a sports fan and you're into athletics, you cannot get by without turning on ESPN and hearing about the latest athlete that's just announcing that he's so-called coming out of the closet. He gets praised. He gets celebrated. He's described as a hero. And then you have another athlete that comes out and says, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus, and they tell him to be quiet. I don't know if you're watching during the Olympics. Right in the middle of one of the commercials, you see these athletes, it's a commercial, um, competing, swimming, running. And then you see a couple guys grab each other's hands, and then it says, Cleveland, Ohio, proud to host Gay Games 2014. I'll admit, it caught me off guard when I'm watching the Olympics to see this. It just so happened that week, all the directors for FCA were gathering in Ohio, uh, down in Columbus. And our state director actually lives in Cleveland. So he said, we got something we got to talk about. Uh, Because I guess our city is proud to be hosting this, and you need to know what's going on. Um, Children and and kids today, uh, when they use certain terms in school, um, they may use the word gay. But when kids use that word... They sometimes are referring to saying that that's just really stupid, okay? And I'm sorry, but that's the S word in our house. We don't use that word, but so you understand how they use that word, okay? So when they say uh, something is is gay, they're saying it's something stupid. When I grew up, if you remember, faggots were a bundle of sticks tied together. Look it up in the dictionary, right? Uh, And if you looked up the word gay in the dictionary, it meant happy. Today, we're not talking about a bundle of stupid, happy sticks, okay when we use that term. Um, it used to be that it's not that anymore. Um, if you watch news you're gonna hear this as it goes from west coast to east uh, educational materials in some states now laws being passed that yes this will be taught this is a part of life and this will be accepted. Uh, marriage laws are being passed in various states. Yes anybody can marry anybody. It's not just man and woman now it could be man and man, woman and woman. If you haven't heard any of this I'd like to know the address to your cave that you're living in, okay? Because this is prevalent. This is happening. And uh, it was just right before Christmas. I'm going to say at least a minimum of three families uh, in this church came to me and said, Rex, what do we do about this? Because we're going to get together with our family and some of our extended family at Christmas time, and they're going to be bringing their significant other person. What do I do as a Christian? How do I approach this? What do I say? It wasn't just one person that said, I'm going to have to do this. There's multiple people. And it started to realize, you know what? We, we've really never talked about this. I've maybe mentioned at one point in time in a message, we've never taken a whole sermon about this. So this subject's a little touchy because if we talk about it as Christians, we're going to be labeled as haters. Oh, you, you, must be, you must hate people. You must hate gay people because you're a Christian and you're speaking out against it. So today, I pray that God's words. And not my opinions, but God's words are stated clearly. So with that being said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. And I thank you, Lord, for your word, for truth. Because, Lord, this is where we start. Not with the mass media, not with social media, not with uh, what one person's opinion is about something or what one person's preference is. Lord, we come to your word, your holy standards. Lord, help us to see this clearly, to understand it. More importantly, Lord, fill our hearts with love and grace and truth. In that precious name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask uh, Trevor, come up here real quick, would you please? And then I'm going to say, ask Ben to be on the, the alert for your keyboard. I'm going to need your help in a little bit too, okay? And I'll actually be there in a second. Uh, Trevor, you're going to help me just because I heard your prayer request about basketball today. So you've got a game going on, right? You all set? Okay, because since you're a basketball player and I got you up here, I was spanning and looking for, see if I could find some some other kids. Well, I'll pull you up here since you mentioned the prayer thing. Here's my question. Okay, so you're playing basketball and there's a court that you play on, correct? How do you know? (laughs) Baseball season is kicking off in September this year due to the snow. Hockey, I'm sort of feeling it right there, okay? (laughs) Basketball, okay, anyway. So, okay, so you're on the court and uh, when you step on the court, is there an out-of-bounds? Describe it for me. Where, where's it at? Do you, do you know where it is? So you know exactly where the out-of-bounds is. Okay, so if you have the ball, and uh, what's your goal? to do? What, what do you want to do with that basketball? basketball Put in the hoop, score points, right? Okay, but what happens if you've driven the basketball and you go out-of-bounds? What happens? Okay, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. Why is it a bad thing? Oh, so you don't want your opponent outscoring you, right? So you stay in bounds. What would does your coach get mad at you? Does he? Yes, your dad, your coach. Just between us, okay. (laughs) Nobody else heard that whisper. Okay, okay. So uh, does your the parents or fans get upset if you keep dribbling out of out of bounds? What happens? I mean, what if you're a really hard basketball player, you're really aggressive, you go really hard, and and then you dribble out of bounds really quick? Is that okay? But you're trying really hard, isn't that good? But. So you dribble out of bounds, you're still giving the ball over to the team. Okay, all right, thank you very much. High five it. Thank you, good job. All right, now Ben, I'm gonna come over to you a writer, a composer, a musician, just play something real quick for me um, that I can pick up. Okay, let me try it. That's a good rhythm. That's good? Yeah. Let me try it a little bit harder. Right. Use more fingers. More fingers. Is there an issue going? On? Okay. Try that. Okay. Which? Show me again. I, that was real. You had like. Okay. That, I can do that. I got hey. that. Yeah. let hey. see. Okay, stay there with me, Ben. Stay with me. Okay. So here's the deal. Because I want to, I want to go beyond the realm of athletics here. Because I want to go with you know music too. But I want to think about this. Um, when playing a music instrument, you have a teacher that shows you how to play, okay? And here's the deal. I tried music when I was younger. It didn't work out for me. I tried the sousaphone, you know, the big tuba, okay? But uh, there's a girl, Lisa, that I liked in fifth grade. She's cute. Um, she played the flute, and I was in band. I played the sousaphone, and I came in on her solo. It's a little obvious when the sousaphone comes in on a flute solo. I'm just saying, and I was so embarrassed, I quit band that day, and I just gave it up. So that was it for my music career. Anyway, um, in, in that, you have, I saw, you know, you've got some sheets over there, music sheets. And actually, when I first met Ben, uh, you were the, the jazz band, a big jazz band, and you had a thick notebook. I mean, that was huge. Then again, you're playing for like three hours, and it was, anyway, it's pretty incredible. But here's the thing. On those notes, on those sheets, is an arrangement of notes. What Ben just played is obviously an arrangement of notes. What I did was... It was bad, okay, but it was, it was an effort of trying to throw notes somewhere out there and hit it, right? But then I tried harder, but what if I tried really hard? Did it, did it get any better, be honest with me? No, thank you very much. Okay, Steve, thanks for jumping in there. See, when you, see, when you choose to follow your, your notes the only way like I did, I strayed away from a beautiful arrangement, uh, even if it's you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, okay, it even it's that song, um, but here's, here's what I want you to understand. In both cases, inbounds, out of bounds, An arrangement of notes that's composed to make something beautiful. When I try to do it on my own, when I step out of bounds on a basketball court, I am turning the ball over. I'm letting my opponent take the advantage on me. I'm forfeiting my chance of victory when I step out of bounds. And when I try to do my own composing and my own notes and arrange things the way I think I can do it, even if I'm trying hard, It's not going to sound good. I need a a composer. I need a musician, somebody who can play and teach me. Everybody follow me on this? When we discover that we need boundaries, we need an arrangement to keep us from chaos and disorder and pain and dysfunction and defeat. Does that make sense? That's what God gives us, boundaries. Boundaries. Sometimes we look at laws, we look at things in God's Word, and we say, oh, it's such a restriction, but it's a boundary, as in basketball. You step out of bounds, you're going to let your opponent beat you every time. You step out of bounds, you're going to let your opponent beat you every time. When you try to do things on your own and being disobedient and not following the great composer God who's given us beautiful notes for life, it's chaos. It sounds horrible. About 15 years ago, Jenny and I went to Colorado and we drove up Pike's Peak. If you ever been to Pike's Peak, incredible beautiful. We're driving up and you get to a certain point where there's no guardrails along the side, okay? Now that's the fun part. I like that part, okay? I like mountains. Jenny doesn't. She was, you know, in the passenger seat and when we would get around an edge where she was and there's no guardrails, just nothing. She was scooting my way a little bit more and she was telling me to scoot a little more that way into the other side of the road. I can't do that, honey. Um, She didn't like it. She got really nervous about it. But see, those guardrails on most roads, except at that certain point in time, guardrails that you see are there to protect you. They're there to keep you in. they're to keep you from going over the edge and being harmed, okay? Now, again, whether it's boundaries or guardrails, they're there to protect you, to keep you safe, to keep you from going over the edge. And here's the thing, again, and I want to make this clear. God loves us so much that he's established boundaries for us. He's established guardrails for us, things that keep us safe and allow us to live an abundant life, as he said. What does John 10.10 10 say? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I've come to give life and give it abundantly. That's what Jesus wants for us, is abundant life. But the thief wants to steal that away. So he creeps in and he gives you a little lie here and a little lie there. And just, oh, just get up a little bit close to that boundary. Just, you know, just look over the edge. Look how cool that looks. Everybody's doing it right. Or, or maybe you aren't satisfied over here. And so maybe you should try over there because that's so much better. And we start listening to these lies that the thief comes in. So why? So he can steal, kill, and destroy us. Do me a favor. Open up your Bibles. Turn to the book of Proverbs, Old Testament, right past Psalms. Turn to Proverbs chapter 7, Proverbs chapter 7. As we dig in to this message this morning, I want to make it very clear, as best I can laying this out, um, how to approach not just this subject of, of homosexuality, but any subject of sin, okay? Proverbs chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 25, verse 25. Listen to me, my sons, pay attention to my words. Verse 25, don't let your hearts stray away toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path, for she's been the ruin of many. Numerous men have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. Now, is this proverb in this part right here in chapter 7, is talking about wisdom and, and talking about the way of the foolish. As I read this and I was reading through, I was understanding this, that today's thrills lead to tomorrow's pains. Today's thrills lead to tomorrow's pain and even ruin. And when I was reading this, understanding, it was like this, this again, this obviously very wise man who wrote this. Father is saying to his son, listen, listen, don't let your heart, don't let it stray towards her. Don't go out of bounds. Don't go into a direction that, you know, it might feel good for you, but listen, you're just going to end up being a victim in this situation. You're going to live to a life of ruin. Go back now to the beginning of Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 to 3, where he says this, and this is actually how the, the chapter starts, but I wanted to read that first part to you. Verses 1 to 3 says this, followed my advice, son, always treasure my commands. Let me hear you say treasure. Let me hear you say obey them. Look at verse 2. Obey them. We're talking about these treasures. Obey them and live. Guard my teachings. Let me hear you say guard. Guard my teachings as your most precious possession. Tie them on your fingers as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. God said, listen, I'm giving you wisdom. I'm giving you boundaries. I'm giving you life-giving news. Hold on to them. Cherish them. Guard them. Tie them around, remember them wherever you go. And what, what happens with today's scripture is we've sort of taken God's word, we've, we've watered it down or we've set it off to the side. Well, this is a good reading over here. Or this is a good story over there. And they are, they probably are. But God's word says this needs to come first. And what happens when we stray away from God's word? When we stray away from God's word, we get up to that edge where there is no railing, where the boundaries is right there. And we start dabbling, we start looking, and we start saying, investigating. Well, this seems to be good, Right? Follow my advice. Always treasure my commands. Obey my commands and live. So when we choose to be on God's team, we discover that He's given us boundaries too. Boundaries to live in a way that honors and pleases God. Boundaries that give daily direction. It's a guardrail to keep us from plummeting to the edge of danger and destruction. And here's the deal. Society may be acceptable to various sins. Oh, we're, we're going to tolerate. We hear tolerate. We hear uh, politically correct—we hear those kind of terms used often, right? But society does not follow God's standards. Okay, everybody got that? See, it's like, well, but everybody says okay, but everybody's not following God's standard. That's the problem. Our government doesn't follow God's standards. Certain institutions that we're a part of doesn't follow God's standards. Well, but the, the but my boss at work—is he following God's standard? Is she following God's standard? Well, not necessarily. You're a child of God as a Christian. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we've got one standard we've got to follow. That's God's holy standards. So God sets the standards, He sets the boundaries, and beyond those boundaries, for us especially, it's unacceptable. So, example, let's let's break this down now a little bit further. Marriage and relationships. Okay? What is God's game plan for marriage? If I were to, if I were to sit down with you and say, Tell me God's game plan for marriage. What did, what, how did God create marriage? How did this all start? Well, you'd say we'd go back to the very beginning. The very first book ever written was Genesis. Let's go back to there and find out what it says. We say, well, husband and wife, uh, they're joined together. Within marriage, a man and a woman have physical liberties. They have a gift from God. They have uh, sexual intimacy with one another. That's within marriage. It's a good thing. God created it. God's laws are not forbidding any kind of physical intimacy. He created it. God's law keeps us in bounds away from destroying ourselves and others. And when we step out of bounds within the marriage relationship, we have problems. Jesus discusses the same principle in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 6. When asked about marriage and divorce, so said, well, what's, what's God's plan on marriage, Jesus? What's about God's plan on divorce? Well creation got approved one kind of marriage, man to woman. Now, if we do this let uh, let 's turn to Genesis chapter two if you'd like i 'm turning there, Genesis chapter two verse twenty four this is right after oh, God gives Adam Eve he 's pretty excited last yes verse twenty three Part of my own flesh and bone. She'll be called woman because she's taken out of man. Verse 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. Stop right there. Jesus was talking, you know, these religious leaders and other people. You want to talk about marriage? Let's go back to the beginning because God started it, okay? At creation, God approved one kind of marriage. So when we hear about a homosexual marriage, when we hear about laws being passed where men can marry men and women can marry women, we step back and say, well, what's this all about? I'll tell you what it's all about. It's an invention by man because it is not part of God's plan. A heterosexual monogamy is God's plan for marriage, period. The best plan, the only plan. What does God say is right between a man and a woman? When you look at Genesis chapter 2.24, you hear this. A man leaves his parents publicly commits in front of everybody his devotion to his wife. We see here that a man and woman are joined together to take care of each other and to love each other, man and woman. And then there is an intimate uniting, a commitment of sexual union reserved for marriage. That's marriage. That's God's plan. Anything beyond that is man's invention of twisting it and tweaking it and saying, well, this fits better for me. Key words, for me. Because that's not God's plan. Anything outside of that is unnatural. Now, remember, we're talking about one specific sin mentioned in the Bible, okay? And homosexuality is listed as sin. Now, we get into this subject. It's not, you know, because a lot of people say, well, God must hate homosexuals or, or Christians are just picking on a group of people. No. God hates all sin. Let's make that clear, too, okay? Matter of fact, just like you do, turn it back in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. As God's child, we need to think about, okay, God, what should be in my life, what should not be in my life? What is in bounds, what is out of bounds? So as we look at Proverbs chapter 6, we're going to find here a list of things that God shares about. And uh, you actually will find that a couple times uh, through Scripture. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19 says this. There are six things the Lord hates. No, no, no. Seven things that He hates. Now, when you read that, that isn't like the author or God was saying there's six things that He." hate. Oh! I forgot about that one. Seven. There's seven things. Oh! Wait. Eight. No. What's happening here? When you see that poetic phrase, it means this list is incomplete. There's more to it. Okay? There's more to it. But here's a uh, seven that are listed. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord among brothers. If we were to look up other scripture, Proverbs 12, 22, it says this, the Lord detests lying lips, Mm. but he delights in those who tell the truth. For uh, chapter 16.5 says this, The Lord detests the proud. They will surely be punished. Homosexuality, which is a sin, is outside the boundaries that God's listed in relationships with men and women. There's a spiritual and a physical guardrail posted beyond that boundary, and, it, beyond that boundary, and it's a particular sin listed, though, along with many others. What else does God say about sexual sin outside of the boundaries of God's plan? 1 Corinthians chapter. Six verses 15 to 17 says this. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually part of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and put it with a prostitute? Never. Verse 16. Don't you realize that if a man himself joins with a prostitute, he becomes one with their body? For the Scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Paul talks a lot in Corinthians about sexual sin because you need to understand, Corinth was a messed up place. Sexual sin was prevalent during biblical times. This isn't something new. It's like, well, people never had to deal with this before. Nobody's ever, they dealt with this in biblical times. That's why there's scripture there on it. Corinth had temples. There was a goddess of love called Aphrodite. And in that temple for Aphrodite, they had uh, employed over 1,000 prostitutes to serve in that temple. Just because culture and environment accepted it did not make it right. But we say, well, there's a lot of it going on, so it must be okay. No, it's not. No, it's not. If you read early in verse 13, actually, Paul says our bodies were made for God. God cares about our bodies and what we do with our bodies. We discuss boundaries for sin and marriage and sexual sins. Now, specifically, here's a lot of you are probably waiting here. What does the Bible say specifically, okay? I know there's a bunch of sins out there. They're all out of bounds, okay? But tell me about this one sin, homosexuality. Where does it talk about in the Bible? First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine. Let's start there. New Testament, if you're going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, keep rolling. Acts, Romans, first Corinthians, and you are there. First Corinthians chapter six. First Corinthians chapter 6 we We'll start in verse nine. And again, you need to understand this uh, as Paul's writing this. There's also a temple for another false god called Apollo in which there were male prostitutes there for the women and men. So as Paul's writing this, understand his surrounding. Don't you know that those who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who are idol worshippers, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusers, swindlers, none of those will have a share in the kingdom of God. Paul lists, did you see he puts them right in the middle of everything there? Sin is sin across the board. We're, we're talking about one particular sin right now. If you were to look up Leviticus 18.22, you'd read it says this, do not practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man is... I'm having sex with another man as with a woman is a detestable sin. God shares that in Leviticus. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We have to back up from 1 Corinthians, first chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 26. We'll start there. Romans chapter 1, verse 26 says, That's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Now let me back up what's going on here in this chapter sort of Paul sort of lays the road out here and said, listen, the people are sort of making their own decisions. God presented himself as God. A lot of people rejected God. So God said, go ahead, do whatever, whatever you want to do, whatever your heart desires, since you're rejecting me. If you read earlier in the verses here, verse 25, instead of believing what they knew was the truth about God, now listen to this, because they chose not to believe the truth about God, they deliberately chose to believe lies. So they worship the things that God made, but not the Creator Himself. Who's to be praised forever? Amen? We're supposed to be worshiping God, but instead we're worshiping the things that God created, those things. And that's what Paul's saying. Then Paul goes on to say, that's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. As a result, suffered with themselves the penalty they so richly deserved. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 is, again, laying this out very clear. You look at the words that the Holy Spirit laid upon Paul when he's writing this, and you hear these words, shameful desires, against natural. Let's go back to what is natural, Genesis chapter 2, man and woman, Adam and Eve. But now we're talking against natural. Verse 27, shameful things. Verse 27, sin, foolish thinking. Verse 28, they suffered a penalty. Why is that? Why did Paul say they suffered a penalty? Because they went out of bounds. God said it's awesome to play in the court. It's awesome to be part of this game plan. But once you step out of bounds, that's when you get in trouble. That's when you face pain. Now pay attention, because other sins are listed here, and it's because this foolish thinking is widespread. Widespread. And what's, what's worse, the worst part of this, as you go on to read here, is that they encourage others to do the same thing. It's not just, hey, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but it's, hey, I know what I'm doing is wrong, and you ought to do it too. You need to know that when young ladies go off to college. There are sororities out there, and there establishments out there that will take your daughter, take her to a frat party, get her drunk, and then put her in a room with another woman and say, see, you like it. It's tough out there. And what's scary is, is that those who are involved in whatever sin it may be—again, we're talking about one particular sin—but whatever sin it is, is they come along and they tell everybody else, "You should be doing this too," and encouraging. Paul says that's even worse. First 1 Timothy 1.10. Let me turn there and read that to you. First Timothy one ten. Further back, towards the end of the New Testament. First Timothy chapter one verse ten says this. These laws are for people who are sexually immoral, for homosexual and slave traders, for liars and oath breakers, for those who do anything else that contradicts the right teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. The laws that God's given to us shows us our sin, shows us that we have a need for forgiveness. Now, i want to pause for a second. I want you to hear this, please. Because this sin, like any other sin, needs forgiveness. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. Romans 10.9 says if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, we're saved. God understands the mess we're in, the lies we believe, the sin that we partake in, and he says... That's not what's supposed to be. Within bounds, yes, awesome. Out of bounds, you need forgiveness. And even those of us that are in bounds living according to the way we believe we're supposed to be living for God, we still mess up, don't we? In basketball terms, we still turn it over. We still mess up. First Peter chapter one, verses fourteen says this. As God's children. Because I want you to hear this now, okay? I'm speaking to the church. Speaking to the church. We must live as God's Obedient children. You understand that? We must live as God's obedient children. Peter says this Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You don't know any better then. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do as God is holy. We're called to a higher standard as Christians. In Acts chapter 5, we don't have time to get into this story, another great story. But Ananias and Sapphira, if you ever remember that story, the church was on fire. Ananias and Sapphira sold some property. They took the money. They gave part of it to God and kept the rest for themselves. That wasn't the sin. The sin was they lied about it. Oh, yeah, this is everything. We're giving it to the church. And they were lying through their teeth. God struck him dead on the, on the spot. It's sort of harsh, isn't it? Hey, when God lays something out, He means it. When the church is initiated in something, He goes, wake up, church. When's the last time sin really put a f- fear into your life? When's the last time you got worried about, are we living in sin? When's the last time the church really got upset, like, oh my goodness, well, I, I need to examine my heart? I need to, Or are we just sort of like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Everybody else is doing it. Yeah. In Acts, God was reminding them, listen, listen, listen. You're living by God's standard. That's high standards. So we got to be alert. We've got to be obedient. Within the church family, those are Christians, we have standards. and God's standards have not changed. You know why? Because God hasn't changed. Malachi 3.6 says this, I am the Lord, and I do not change. Let me tell you something. God doesn't change, so God's standards do not change. Now, how we maybe teach those standards, different methods of teaching, that might change, but is Message does not change. The message never changes. The standards never change. So, well, that was, you know, back in your days, that was old school, but today it's different. God's standard doesn't change 20 years from now. Whatever is acceptable in this world or not acceptable doesn't matter. God's standard doesn't change. So, when it comes to the sin of homosexuality and we see it sticking out like no other sins, and why is it? I'm going to throw my opinion, okay, everybody? Boop. Here comes the opinion, okay? My opinion is that media just likes to hype it up. Media likes to shout and make it sound acceptable. When I've read books and understand that your major networks, ABC and uh, Fox and others, uh, their board of directors are made up of, of men and women who live the homosexual's lifestyle, they have an agenda, there's a deep agenda to make sure that everybody knows about this. And so, again, as I've read these books and understand, um, you hop on social media and, and you see this, It's being pushed. And again, you stick a microphone in front of an athlete and he starts to say, I want to thank my Lord and Savior. Okay, we don't talk to you anymore. And you have a guy that comes over here and says, I want to tell everybody about my sexual preference. Boom, 20 microphones and he's a hero. You've seen that happen here in the last few weeks. So, all of a sudden, people come out and they start wanting to know more. People become very curious. Now, I want to share this with you, and that is this. Before we get further, I'm going to start wrapping this sermon up and how do we approach this. Um, Reasons for homosexuality are very complex. That's why I'm sharing with you my opinion. Uh, Because I don't have all the answers. Because I don't have all the answers into the hearts and the reasons of why people make the choices they do, I'm going to share with you what I do know. Okay? But this is what I want to do. These aren't my boots. They're along the hallway, some little kid, I think. So they're like way too small. So before I start talking about somebody else, I'm gonna walk in their shoes. See, a lot of us think we know it all. And we don't. Ah. Let's put a nice grip on my toes right now. But here's the thing. I'm a sinner just like you're a sinner, okay? Somebody who's struggling with the sin of homosexuality, I really don't know what they're walking through right now. So before I start ripping on them, before I say anything negative about anybody and any sin, I need to walk in their shoes. What's going on in their life? I want you to know this. Like I said, we've, we've all sinned, okay? But I want you to understand a few reasons as to why people are diving into this more and more. First of all, it's a lack of, of uh, maternal nurture. See, we're all born with a need to be nurtured, to be cared for by a woman, okay? We all look up to moms, I find mom's day is so special, right? And when girls don't have that fulfilled need through their moms or boys, they, sh- they search for it somewhere else, okay? There's a feeling of otherness. We all have a desire to, to fit in and be accepted. So automatically, when you don't feel accepted by one group of people, you go looking for another group of people to be accepted by. They find it with other people. Now, I'm gonna to talk to you about the female, uh, specifically the female athlete. We had a young lady come in who's on staff uh, with FCA, and, oh man, these hurt, okay. Uh, and she was um, talking to us about what's going on, and she just come back from national convention just sharing about the female athletes in high school and college. And she shared this with us, and she said, women are naturally wired for emotional intimacy. You ladies know that. It's often easier to find that with other women than men. So think about this. In junior high, girl athletes maybe don't have the boy craze like some of their peers do. So if you're a female athlete and your time is spent with a different focus on athletics, 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 and meanwhile some of your friends who are not athletic, they've got the boy craze going on, okay? All of a sudden there's a, I'm different than you. Why is that? Okay, so time is spent with a different focus, maybe not into boys or boys aren't into you because you're so athletic and you're sort of intimidating because you can actually throw a ball better than I can, okay, so now some guys aren't maybe paying attention to these young ladies, and again, they don't fit fit in. When they need that feeling of acceptance, they don't have it, so now the world comes along and says, oh, that's because you're gay, and a little girl believes it. Little boy believes it. When we're sinned against sexually, we often uh, respond with sexual sin ourselves. Uh, We find out that kids who are sexually abused, especially by men, are uh, or maybe promiscuous more in sexual sin, leads to a life of sexual sin. When you've been abused in anger, you usually grow up being an angry person. It's whatever sin has been put upon you. You tend to respond in a similar sin. To them, this is one thing uh, is more. Uh, One more thing to experiment and sort of feed that drive of sexual sin and to avoid the pain of sexual sin with a man. Again, young ladies who have been hurt by a man, they don't want to have anything to do with a man ever again. So they will dress like a man. They'll become unattractive to men. And again, they hear the lie, that's because you must like girls. And they feed into this. So I want you to think about this. What lies have, have we believed to now say, oh, I must be this way? Everybody follow me on this? Now, these are just some of the things that I've been learning and understanding, and it's like, you know what? I never thought of that before. I guess I never walked in your shoes. I didn't realize the way that you were growing up, the lies that you were being fed. I, I, I didn't have to experience that in my life. I didn't realize that. And see, when you've been in a cultured an environment in which you've been ingrained to in this and this, and you did not hear about the truth, It's easy to listen to lies and start believing because we've all done it. All of us have a sin in here I'm sure that we struggle with because we believe the lie that it's okay. Again, we're talking about just one particular sin, but I think some of us can say it makes sense as to maybe why this is happening. Here's what we need to do. First of all, let's pray. Pray that God removes the blinders. Sin is a result of a lie that we believe to be good or true. That's what sin is. It's gotta be good, it's gotta be true, right? Sin gives into a lie that binds us. Second Timothy, let me read this to you, chapter 2. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I say don't get involved with foolish, ignorant arguments that only starts fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, be patient with difficult people. Gently, listen, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they'll learn the truth. They'll come to their senses, and they'll escape the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. And that's what I really believe that sin is. This Sin is a big lie from Satan that has held people captive, uh, captive and trapped. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for them that they'll come to their senses. And this verse, when you think about this, when this is dealing with any Habitual sin, whether it's sexual brokenness or it's some other area in your life, apply the scripture to that. It's like, a, it's like a man standing on the edge of, of, a, of a cliff, and he's about ready to, to head into paradise, okay? He's just on the edge there. He's ready to go to paradise, and he's trying so hard to work and trying so tough to get in, but the problem is he's being held back by all these vines that are wrapped all around him. His arms and his legs, and he's struggling, struggling. Nothing seems to get out. As a matter of fact, they just get a little bit tighter the more he struggles. And then the more, po- most powerful part of this picture, if you can see it, is he's holding the ends of the vines in his hand, and he's struggling to get out. All he has to do is let go of the ends of the vines, and he could be free. That's a picture of a lacking of surrender. That's where many of us are in these kinds of sins. We get so tied up, so wrapped up, and it's, it's a matter of surrender, but they're not surrendering yet. And the thing is, sometimes we think as Christians, I can free them. I can free them." You remember the story of when Jesus and uh, had the, the four guys that brought the paralytic man to Jesus, opened up the roof, let him in? What did Jesus do? First of all, it's the faith of the friends that saved him, okay? The friends brought him to Jesus. And then there's, there's this paralytic man laying before Jesus. What did Jesus do? He took care of his heart first before he took care of his physicalness. A lot of times I, I think we sit there and we say, well, we've we got we to gotta free them from their, from their homosexual sin and, and then get them to Jesus. No, 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 no. Let Jesus deal with their heart first then they'll take care of that sin. Jeremiah 2.13, I'll read this scripture. I'll have the worship team come forward, please. Jeremiah 2.13 says this, For my people have done two evil things. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they've dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Listen to the scripture, please. Cisterns are those, those wells that we, we dig for ourselves. We think, this will make me happy. That's what God was saying to these people. Listen, you're doing a couple things. First of all, you abandoned me. And second of all, you're trying to find your life, your living water in a broken cistern, a broken well. And the sin of homosexuality is a broken cistern. It's a misplaced identity in their sin. And people are running to it thinking, this holds the answer. I must be this way. So this holds the answer. I'm going to be good now. What they find out later in life is it isn't good. And it hurt even more. And the water they thought would help them doesn't help because I'm telling you, there's only one living water. That's Jesus. We've taken our eyes off Jesus to try to meet every other need in our life and fulfillment and discovered, you know what? I'm dry as can be. You know why that is? Because your cistern is broken. Christians, for those that are struggling with this sin and other sins, we need to understand this. People are thirsty for Jesus, but they don't know it, so they're going out finding other things to fulfill their needs. And I cannot change them. You cannot change them. Because all we are is like me coming up, and I grab Aiden here, and Aiden, open up, I pour him, and I just start guzzling this down his his mouth. It's like, drink it, drink it, drink it, and and I'm squeezing it. I'm just drowning him. Sometimes that's what we do as Christians. We try to shove Jesus down people's throats. They're not ready yet. Their cistern is broken, but once their well runs dry, make sure you're there by them to show them the love of God, to show them the living water Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we get so nervous and so scared, like, well, they make me nervous, they make me scared because they're so different than me. Really? You're perfect, like Jesus said. You have no sin in your life? They've got sin in their life, you've got sin in your life, right? So just as much as you found living water in Jesus Christ, they need living water in Jesus Christ as well. Just read through the Bible, see who Jesus hung out with. Prostitutes, right? Tax collectors. Hey, Zacchaeus, coming to your house today. Really? My house? Who got upset with that? The religious leaders. Listen, we must believe the truth. Let's start with that. Believing God's standards. And then we need to behave in a way that honors God in obedience, living out his standards. But then we need to be real too. And the only way that people are going to change is if we invite them to walk with us as we follow Jesus. Listen, they don't hang out with Jesus, they're not going to change. You don't hang out with Jesus, you're not going to change. But if you're walking with Jesus, and they're ready to start walking with Jesus with you, they're going to find living water. Andy Stanley said this. Here's a prerequisite to following Jesus. You have to be a sinner. Hey, we're all in on that one, right? It's a good deal. Anyone who's ever followed Jesus or is following Jesus, we were all first sinners. Now we need to be a haven of forgiveness and healing for those who are repenting, which includes the sin that we've talked about today. For those who don't think it's a sin, pray for them. But don't be shoving the living water down their throats. You're going to drown them. When they are dry, when they are thirsty, when they're crying out, then you'll be there. Give them the living water of Jesus. Pray for them, would you please? Would you please stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I know this message is so much to say. and Lord, there's so much um, that I look in Scripture and just see what needed to be said, and and, uh, Lord, I pray that your words were clear today. You've given us boundaries. You've given us a standard. We've all ran outside those boundaries at times. And when we've gone outside those boundaries, we have found grace and forgiveness from you. The God who loves and forgives, and we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, as we're trying to live our life in bounds, we see a lot of people and various sins. And today, we, Lord, we talked about one specific sin that, that you listened to your word. And uh, Lord, we know it's a hot topic and sometimes we get nervous about how to approach it. So Lord, with all boldness and courage, help us to stand on your word first for what is true. Help us to be loving to others, to reach out to others who are really hurting, who are struggling with this subject. Lord, help us to pray for them, as I'm sure somebody prayed for us before we came to know you. Lord, you are the living water. You're the only one that refreshes the soul and brings life. There's a lot of people with broken cisterns right now thinking that that's going to do. Lord, we pray for those that are struggling, those whose wells are running empty that in that moment of incredible thirst, they will find you, and Lord, it will be us who were bold enough to share you with them. Lord, forgive us for any time that we have harshly judged somebody for their actions. Help us, Lord, instead to love them, to show them your grace and truth. Thank you, Lord, for this time we've had to worship you in spirit truth. Lord, as we sing now, Continue to work in our hearts. If there's something that we need to seek forgiveness of. Let us bend a knee to you. We love you, Lord. We sing to you now in the name of.